You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with Enter Streamcast. And we'll spend our time talking to our learning sub and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com and I will answer as many as I can. So Labor Day is coming up, which means hopefully many children will be getting back to school. As I told you last week, um, I am back in school already. Um, certain states, they start before Labor Day. I guess I'm remembering New York, New Jersey. They start a lot of times after Labor Day. But hopefully the children are getting back to school. I told you you got to be in the classroom. I was telling uh, Kelsey before. You know, I was, I'm, I've been pleasantly um, surprised how well the children are readjusting. Children are amazing. Children are amazing. They just have that ability... Um, they're out of school for so long, and most of them, the I think really a large majority of them, um, really are, are re-acclimating. Does it mean everybody can? Of course not. Does it mean we have more children that may need um, special help or timeout or social workers or, or just private time? Of course, and we have to take care of those children. Of course we do. But, but um, overall... I think things have been fantastic. The kids take to the masks better than the adults. They, they just do. You tell them to wear masks, they wear masks. You tell them they can't gather, they don't gather. They, they, they get the rules and regulations. They behave. They know what they're allowed to do, and they're really, really good about it. But we're going to talk about this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion, and we're getting close to the end of the Torah. We are in Parashas, the, the Torah portion, Kisavo. That leaves us with Kisavo, Nitzavim, Vayelech, Azidim, Zaytzebrachah. Five Torah portions left. Of course, the last one is on uh, Simchat Torah, which, of course, uh, that we all know about. And whatever you don't know, either listen to an old show or, of course, we'll do it again. So Kisavo starts out um, with the, the, the law of Bikurim, the first fruit. And um, let's just give a quick overview of the first fruit, and then we'll get into something I wanted to focus on. So the farmer um, in Israel uh, will go out to his field, and he will either see wheat or barley. It's the seven species, right? The wheat, the barley, the, the olives, the dates, the figs, the grapes, the pomegranates. It, when he sees the first of those growing, he'll go out to his field and he'll tie a string around it. Uh, some say a red string around it. He'll watch it grow. And when those first fruits are ready, he will gather them, depending how close they are to Jerusalem, if they have to dry it out, if they'll bring it up fresh. Um, each area, almost like each county, um, would have a central city where all the farmers would gather with their first fruit. They will march up to Jerusalem with parades. And as they get close to Jerusalem, they'll send a message ahead how many people are in the parade. The more people in the parade, the more priests and Levites will come out to greet them. They will march through the streets of Jerusalem. And even though normally a worker 
if I'm paying you to work for me, you can't just go out to watch a parade. Maybe nowadays people think differently, but but really, really, if uh, if you work for me, you can't just go out to watch a parade. But actually, the rabbis demand from the employers that the um, that they we want your employers employees to go out to wave to welcome everybody to Jerusalem. It's a big deal. We want everyone to bring this first fruit. They bring it up to the Temple Mount. They will uh, give it to the priest. Uh, the priest of the Kohen, he'll put it by the by the altar. Um, you'll have to read the beginning of this week's Torah portion, which, by the way, is the four of the verses that the farmer will read um, are actually read by the by Passover night by the Seder, because these are very important verses. Talks about where we came from, how uh, how. Uh, Lavan, Jacob's father-in-law, wanted to kill him, and Jacob has to run, and eventually we go down to Egypt, and then we're slaves in Egypt, and then the plagues come, and then God takes us out of Egypt. So that cycle, that part of our history is repeated, Passover night, repeated uh, this Sabbath when we read the story portion, and is read by the farmers. Now it's interesting. Not all farmers know how to read, certainly not in those days even if it was something important throughout Jewish history that we wanted our children to be able to read and to read from the Torah and study the Torah. But the facts were that the farmers were going to be more illiterate. It's just fact. And they would be embarrassed to come to the Temple Mount because they're not reading. Someone's going to have to read for them. Very embarrassing. So the rabbis instituted that nobody gets to read. The only one who reads is the Kohen, and he will read for each person. Every person who comes up in his line, he will read it for him, and you can stand on your head and say, I want to read it too bad. That way no one's getting embarrassed, which, by the way, is something we do every week, and that is when we go to synagogue, or for those of us that are able to, obviously with corona things are a little different, but when you go to synagogue, so not everyone can read from the Torah, so if you can't, you have somebody read for you, so generally speaking in most synagogues, there is the designated person. He's called the Balkore. He reads for everybody. That way no one's embarrassed that they can't read. Afterwards, they'll probably bring some sacrifices. They'll stay overnight in Jerusalem, and then they'll go home. What's the, what's the deal behind this command to bring the first fruit? So I asked my class. It was, I was so happy to hear the answer. I asked them how many boys had a vegetable garden during the— I teach boys, right? How many boys had a vegetable garden during the summer? And I think it was about half, which was great. We had tomatoes. We had cucumbers. I had boys saying they grew basil. I never heard of growing basil. And I guess certain, certain spices grow nicely or herbs, whatever, not spices. Um, all kinds of stuff. The corn. I didn't know people grew corn in their backyard. The kids had corn. Um, so, fine. We get through the all the boys who had uh, gardens. Of course, they want to tell me about it, uh, so I have to move along. And I said, wasn't it exciting when your mother says, tonight you're, we're going to go, you're going to get the first ripe tomatoes off the vine. That's always the best example. If they don't have tomatoes, the first cucumber off the vine, the first squash off the vine, the first eggplant, we're going to bring it in. It's very, very exciting because you've done all this work and and you want you want to you want the fruits of your labor, right? Pun intended. Very exciting. So the Torah says the farmer cannot 
bring into his house his first fruit. The first fruit you have to give to God. You have to show your gratitude. He made it rain and the and the land produced properly and things grew properly and you're able to harvest properly and you're healthy. This is prime gratitude, or like we like to say, hakaras hatov or hakaratatov. Now, what's interesting is there's a, a fascinating Rashi. Rashi is that famous commentary we talk about. He's our number one commentator. I taught that also to my boys this week, how everything starts with him. He lived uh, about a thousand years ago in, in France and Worms. Rashi says you have to bring your first fruit to the temple to show that you're not an ingrate. That's very interesting. Uh, you know, we always try so hard to be positive and say things in a positive manner, and you have a choice. I could say, to show my gratitude, but instead Rashi says, to show I'm not an ingrate. Why does Rashi say it that way? So it happens to be, um, on the holiday of Shavuot, of the tabernacle we receive the Torah, there is a piece of poetry that is read. It's pretty long, but it's uh, it's back and forth poetry in Aramaic, of course, because why should they write it in my language? But it's obviously an old piece of poetry called Akdamos, and in there it talks about, and this is in other places also. You know, if the if the if the, all the oceans were ink and all the skies were the parchment and all the trees were the quills and all the people were the scribes, we could never finish writing the praises of God. So this concept is famous. So now you have a problem. You want to show your gratitude to God. But if you're going to walk around and say, I am showing my gratitude, how do you know if you did enough? Right? If we have this old poetry, which is always repeated, so it's obviously important to us, and in that poetry we talk about how we could never praise God enough. And there's another example. We'll throw another example. The beginning of the Shemona Esrei, the beginning of the, when we stand quietly and we, we, we ask God for what we need. So the first three paragraphs are praises to God. So it is really fascinating. You're allowed to ask God for whatever you want. When you're davening, when you're praying Yishman Esra, you have a private, personal request that's not, if you, if it's probably included in all the things we ask for. I ask for health, and I ask for, for, for uh, livelihood, and I, and I ask for the Messiah to come, and I ask for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, and I ask for intelligence, and I ask for repentance. Everything is going to get included general, but you're allowed to ask specific. Nothing wrong with asking specific. However... In the first three paragraphs, the first three blessings where we praise God, you're not allowed to add anything. The men of the great assembly, they put together these three first blessings, and they said like this, this is good enough. This is fine. This is a proper way to praise God. The problem is as soon as you add your own two cents, now there's no ending. So it's too dangerous to go ahead and add our own Oh, and God, you're this, and God, you're that, and God, you're that. So, therefore, it's impossible to completely show proper gratitude to God. Therefore, Rashi says, at least I can say I'm not an ingrate. To say I've gone done enough, I've shown enough gratitude, the attitude has to be, I don't have the ability to show enough gratitude. 
what I have is the ability to at least show that I'm not an ingrate. I keep wanting to say ingratitude, but I'm not sure if that's a real word. So therefore, I will not use that word, but it would be a great word. So I saw an interesting story this week. The story goes like this. It was a girl, probably in her 20s, wonderful girl, wonderful qualities, very smart. She only had one thing wrong. She was blind. And she'd always been blind. And she knew it was going to be a problem getting married, because why would somebody want to marry a girl who's blind? One day, a boy meets her. He appreciates all her good qualities. He appreciates her intelligence, her humor, her wit. Okay, so she can't see. He can deal with it. It's worth it for him to be married to such a wonderful person. And this that she can't see, they'll work it out. Anyways, they get married, living well. And they hear that for her blindness, there happens to be a doctor who's created a cure. And they talk about it, and they want to find out about it. And they, they research, and they, they contact this, the hospital the doctor operates out of, and they sit down with a doctor, and after everything's taken care of, the doctor says, but here's the problem. You know, I'm only one person, and there's only this hospital that does the surgery, and there's basically a 10-year, we're at the point where it's going to take about 10 years until I'm able to operate. I'm, I'm very sorry, you know, but uh, you'll probably have to wait about 10 years. And the husband and wife go home, and they're and they're, they're devastated. They thought, here we have a way that the wife will be able to see again. And it's not going to happen. Well, um, the husband gets involved and he, and he makes phone calls and pleads and begs and meetings. And finally, the husband comes home after weeks and weeks of working with the hospital. And the husband says, we can do it. We can do it. I've worked it out. Um, in six weeks from now, we have to do all the prep. The hospital will take you in, and you will have your surgery. You'll be able to see, and they're all excited. And, um, okay. So the surgery is successful, and uh, the wife uh, it can see, and she's so excited, and she finds out her husband's blind. Huh. After all that, she's able to see. Her husband can't see. And slowly but surely, this wonderful, fine uh, woman is not so satisfied. Her husband was satisfied with her, mind you. Uh, but she's not so satisfied with her husband. And um, after six months, it's not working anymore. And the husband finally writes her a note and leaves it on, uh, on her bed and says to my dear wife, I cherish all the wonderful memories that we had together. I ask you for one favor. Please take care of my eyes. Please take care of the eyes you have, because they were once mine, um, and I gave them to you, and please, please take care of them. Okay, just in case you didn't get the story, obviously the husband allowed his eyes to be removed so that his wife could, um, could would be able to see. Okay, and I, I'm sure there's all kinds of thoughts racing through your mind now of what you're thinking about this person, and that's really not what I was looking for. But what I am looking for is you need to appreciate what you have, not what's missing. You have to appreciate what God gave you at each moment of your life. 
Appreciate what you have. Be grateful for what you have. Don't, don't, what did I say? Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't even sweat some of the big stuff. Don't sweat what you don't have. Just appreciate what you have in the moment. Somebody told me today, amazing. Um, my wife, a lot of times, is not like the school has a newsletter, and especially at the beginning of the year, the school likes to write down all the congratulations that happened during the year. And my wife, for whatever reason, does not really like when uh, our, my family's uh, celebrations are mentioned. She doesn't like it. doesn't matter why. So I told this to the secretary because I had a granddaughter during the summer. And the secretary said, you know, she understands my wife, but she wanted to tell her the other side of the coin. Um, there's a teacher there in the high school, and she likes to take, especially and she plans on taking this year, um, whenever her first class is probably next week, she's going to take the school newsletter and she's going to say, you know, everyone, there's been corona and there's been a lot of tragedies and people have had a hard time and a lot of things have been not so good. But you know what? I would like to just read to you a list of good things that happened. Sometimes we get so stuck in all the things we're not happy with. Let's go through all the good stuff. And she reads through all the mazel tovs, all the congratulations. So it's really a fascinating way to look at things. It's not just that we want to congratulate the parents of things that have happened to them and the families and in the school, what's been going on. We want everyone to recognize, yes, corona has been a lot of tough things happening. But there's been a lot of good stuff also. And sometimes we got to also, for ourselves, just to feel good, look at all the good stuff. That's part of gratitude. You got to look at the good. You know things are not always so good, but you got to be grateful for where you are right now. Okay. Um, let's continue talking about gratitude. We'll see how much time we have left because there's always time is flying. But i tell you another story. A lot of stories today. I don't know why. Lots of stories, but good stories. So there was a, um, a man, and he had gone through some tough time, and he had been wealthy one time, and then he lost his money, and now things were starting to look up again. And one of his friends came, and, and they're talking, and the man who had lost his money and now had built himself back up said, you know, I don't want to really talk about the bad times. I'm not really interested in that part of my life. I just want to talk about where I am right now today. Today things are good. That's what I want to talk about. So the friend says, you know, that's really the wrong attitude. How do we see it's the wrong attitude? We see it from what we read and what I mentioned to you earlier about Bikurim. When we bring the Bikurim, when we bring the first fruit, we have to talk about the bad times. Oh, love on our, the Jacob's father-in-law wanted to kill him. And Jacob is running, and he finally gets to Israel, and then he has the story with Joseph, and he goes down to Egypt, and in Egypt we become slaves. And then finally, God brings the plagues, and we get out of Egypt, and we're wealthy. So the friend said, so you see that, that what God wants is you got to remember everything. You should remember when things were not so good. You should remember that God pulled you out of that bad situation. you got to remember the whole picture. Again, I'm telling you that be grateful for where you are today. That's true. At the same time, part of that being grateful is to remember the whole picture. Because when I remember the whole picture, that is what's going to help me. That's going to help me be a person that has proper hakaras. I'll tell you proper gratitude. Okay. 
We have a little bit of time left. I want to talk about one more part of the Torah portion, and of course, I have more stories. I don't know, just today is just one of those story days. I think what happens is when I get back in the class, as I talk, I remember stories, and I tell them. Now, sometimes I tell them to remind me about a story, and if they don't remind me, I don't have to say it because I'll forget about it. But we like to tell stories. Stories are good because it, it brings the point home and it clarifies. It's emotional. It's not just the dry, sometimes, information. Some people don't do well with just dry information. So you spice it up with stories. Beautiful. So another part of Torah portion um, talks about when the Jewish people go into the land of Israel, we have to travel to these two mountains. One mountain is called Hagrizim. One mountain is called Har-Evel. Half the Jewish people will stand on this Har-Grizim, this mountain called Grizim. The other half will be on this mountain called Evel. And the priests and the Levites will be in the middle. And they will face towards this Har-Grizim and they will say the blessing. And all the Jewish people say Amen. Then they'll face towards this Har-Evel and they'll say the curse. And everybody will say Amen. Now again, not to get confused. They weren't blessing the people on one mountain and cursing people on the other mountain. That would be a terrible mistake. Everyone's, everyone's answering amen to the blessing. If you keep God's laws, blessing. If you don't keep God's laws, curse. For example, one of them, which is the one I wanted to talk about, is as cursed as one who strikes his fellow stealthily. Or blessed is one who makes sure not to strike his fellow stealthily. So it's, it's on everybody. If you file, if you keep the rule, there's a blessing. You don't keep the rule, there's a curse. Very simple. Very simple. So the story is told by the Chavetz Chaim about the the Chavetz Chaim was telling the story about a rabbi who lived a few hundred years before him, and it seems he had had this from teacher to student, from teacher to student. And the story was with the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon was one of the most famous, brilliant scholars in the last couple hundred years. And in his time, there was no one like him in brilliance. No one. And one time he was on a wagon traveling and the driver had fell asleep and there's the Vilna Gon was studying out of his book. And the wagon driver fell asleep and the, the cow or the horses, whatever, the wagon went straight into somebody's field. The farmer came out and he saw two people, one awake, that would be the Vilna Gon with his book, one sleeping, he figures, obviously, the guy awake is the one who wasn't careful, and he starts to beat this Villanagon with his baseball bat or whatever club he was he had. When people found out what happened, they said to the Villanagon, "Why didn't you tell? Why didn't you tell this farmer? It wasn't you. It wasn't me. I, I'm not the wagon driver. What are you hitting me for?" So the Villanagon said, "Very amazing." He said, "If I would tell." the truth, right, if I wouldn't take the beating, then even all the Torah study and all the great things I've done throughout my life would not protect me from punishment because I didn't follow that concept of who strikes his fellow stealthily. It's amazing, right? As most of us, if it's not our fault, right, I'm, again, I'm teaching in class, our automatic first reaction is that we, we I'm not blaming anyone, I just don't, don't blame me, right? Don't blame me if it's not my fault. If it's his fault, I let the person responsible take responsibility. So the villain goes and said it doesn't work that way. If you're getting beaten up and it wasn't your fault, just take it. That's what God wants. But don't don't get somebody else beaten up because even though it's not your fault, and even though you don't you think 
right, that you don't deserve that beating. But the truth is, if you become the cause of somebody else's um, suffering, that's bad. Causing someone else to suffer is considered striking somebody in a hidden way. And the Torah demands from you that you cannot be the cause of somebody else's suffering. It's you, again, forget, this goes above and beyond taking responsibility. We're not discussing responsibility. Responsibility means if I did it, I pay for it. If I didn't do it, so I don't have to worry about it. Here we're saying a step above, this is how much the Torah wants from you, a step above just plain old responsibility. I do it to my class all the time. There's a mess on the floor. There's papers on the floor. And I want everybody to clean up. I don't want to hear from you that it wasn't my paper. You have to clean up because you have to clean up. And that's another one of the lessons from this week's story portion. Here comes my music, short and sweet. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to our response and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our production team. David is here. Kelsey is back again. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Adam's Streamcast. Uh, and until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we 